accelerating to a better future and insight into innovation at Imperial. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the brand new podcast, Accelerating to a Better Future, in which we look at the highs and lows, successes and the legacy of the EIT Climate Kick Accelerator Programme at Imperial College London. I'm Amanda Carpenter and I will be co-hosting the series with Professor Richard Templer, who is a professor of chemistry, although he started his life as a physicist, then he got fascinated as to how biological membranes worked and ended up in the chemistry department. 13 years ago, he started to work on solutions for climate change, something that has become his obsession and led to him co-founding the Climate Kick and the Accelerator Programme. Richard, we've got some fabulous stories to tell, don't we? Yep. Well, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I think I've said to you before that, that these startups uh, are, are kind of my children and um, they just don't come home very often. <laughs> and by, by getting them to do podcasts, I'm forcing them to come home and it will be a lot of, I mean, I, I genuinely, genuinely looking forward to touching base with them again and, um, you know, finding out how their lives are going. The best kind of family reunion, really, because since it started in 2012, the Accelerator Programme has nurtured startups to develop clean tech innovations into successful businesses. And the stats are extraordinary. 63 businesses, over a quarter of a billion dollars of investment, and more than 1,500 jobs have been created. That's an amazing tribute to you both. Oh, it's mostly a tribute to the to the startups. And, we, you know, we were just parents. We just helped them along. They're all fantastic. The right kind of parental guidance. Our podcast is going to explore how it all started. We're going to talk to the scientists and academics who've been involved and helped make it happen. And as you said, to, to your children, to the entrepreneurs whose firms are now at the cutting edge of providing practical, workable, and above all, financially sustainable solutions necessary for a low-carbon future. Today, we're going to wind the clock back about 10 years to discuss how it all began. And it's our great pleasure to welcome Sir Brian Hoskins, founding director and now chair of the Grantham Institute at Imperial College. Brian has far too huge a CV for me to read it all out, but some highlights include being Professor of Meteorology at Reading for the last 35 years, holding a Royal Society professorship, as well as the role of Vice Chair of the Joint Scientific Committee for the World Climate Research Programme, and president of the International Association of Meteorology and Atmospheric Sciences. And if that were not enough, Brian had a major role in the 2000 report of the Royal Commission on Environmental Pollution that first proposed a 60% target for UK carbon dioxide emission reduction by 2050. Brian, a huge welcome to our first Accelerating to a Better Future podcast. Thank you very much. Richard, we might already have lost some of our listeners with phrases like EIT, and Climate Kick. Can you tell us exactly what they stand for? Yeah, well, let me do the last one first and the first one last. So um, Climate Kick is not quite what it sounds like. It's not kick like a kick a football. It's KIC, which is uh, uh, stands for Knowledge Innovation Community. So um, it's the Climate Knowledge Innovation Community, and it consists, therefore, of knowledge organisations, innovation organisations, all bundled together to do a common piece of work on, on, on trying to address the challenges of climate change. Um, EIT um, stands for the European Institute of Innovation and Technologies. And as you might have noticed, there are two I's in there rather than one. And it started off being the European Institute for Technology. 
Um, but a, a number of technological institutes said, we already exist. You don't need to create a competitor institute. And so they didn't. They created this thing called EIIT, really. Um, and uh, we became, if you like, members through the climate kick of that organisation. And I guess it's fair to say, isn't it, that um, when we talk about innovation, it's just this little bit that's coming to an end. It's not all of the innovation at Imperial, but 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 this bit's coming to an end because we're leaving the EU and sadly the funding has finished, hasn't it? So it's been an extraordinary decade, I think, and it would be great to find out what do you, how it all came about. So, Brian, where did it start? Yes, well, I was thinking about that as you spoke and said 10 years. To me, it's a lot longer than that, actually, because... Um, I was um, a meteorologist uh, researcher, really, weather and climate, and I'd been involved in some reports, as you mentioned, and some polit- some politics things, but not really with business. And uh, anyway, the opportunity came in 2008 that I went to Imperial to uh, be the founding director of this new climate centre. I think it was a sort of middle or late career crisis or something where I was actually really trying to do something different. Um, and so... I was involved in this new climate centre, and there's lots going on in Imperial, always very impressive. But um, we we had this funding from the Grantham Foundation to really not just pursue research, but to influence what goes on in all sorts of places, and business being one of those, innovation, trying to tap on what was going at Imperial, and um, as well as influencing the politicians at the end as well. So... We were wondering about how we did all this, and um, they had a director of policy there, Simon Buckle, who was actually there before I start. I started in January two thousand and eight, and he'd come the previous autumn. And we we were wondering what to do, and then we saw this new opportunity from the EIT for these kicks, these knowledge innovation communities, and there were some standard topics like oil and gas, I think, but then there was this climate one, and we said, "Wow." Is this something we can go for? I mean, it sounds something that would be really rather difficult to get all this network in Europe. And do we know what we're doing enough to actually go for this? And Simon and I talked about it. We knew if we were going to go for it, it probably would mean a year of his life to do it, actually, to go to make a bid for it. So we decided we would go for this climate kick. The others were really quite straightforward sort of thing. But what was a climate knowledge innovation community? I don't think any of us knew. And when we started going, we started making some feelers around Europe. We found that no one else knew, but a lot of people were interested in trying to get it in their neck of the woods. So we really decided Imperial should be on the, in on the ground floor of this. And it's, I think, at that point that Richard probably got involved as well when we decided we, we really would go for this. So we're in sort of 2009 now, I think, um, and getting the bid together. So that's a bit of history from my point of view. You're talking about huge amounts of money here, Brian, because, I mean, we think of European funding as being quite significant. Was this was it partly the, the opportunity to get a large amount of funding in that you knew you could use in such an innovative and exciting way? Or was it just because you thought Imperial should be at the forefront of this as it's just at the forefront of so many other things? Yes. Um, I, would, I, I wouldn't say the money was the, the, the big driver. It really was the opportunity, I think, that was the driver. Here, this helped us write to us that we should be on, on the ground floor of actually driving innovation in the climate area, um, which was so important. 
to us. I mean, there was lots of things were happening, but we knew we needed the new businesses to really develop in the climate area to carry this through. And this was just such a good opportunity, just what we've been looking for, really, although we hadn't thought, oh, if only the EIT would do this. But then when it was there, it just sounded so good. It sounded also pretty um, awesome that, to, you know, this is going to be not just thing we can just do in the, the odd sort of 10 minutes at the end of the day. This is going to be a major commitment. Do we go for it or not? We said, yeah, let's go for it. Well, I, 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 I remember actually the discussions at the time. Maybe they went with Brian. There was, there, was, there was a group, I think, of maybe seven of us in the college who, who ended up aggregating around this and went to all these meetings that we eventually had. But it was... It was to do with, um, I think obviously the money is important because you can't do anything if you haven't got funding and having small amounts of funding will only allow you to do small amounts of things. So it's not, it wasn't insignificant, but I think it was the leadership part. You know, the feeling that, 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 um, we had something to give. We had, you know, a super gift from, from, from the Grantham foundations from, 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 from them to, to do something. And therefore it sort of felt like you should, you know, like it felt more like, like, um, if you weren't doing this, it would be wrong. I think. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I always feel like I'm a new boy at Imperial. I mean, I came <laughs> late in my career and I mean, I was always amazingly that there's the range of stuff going on there and people getting their hands dirty in all sorts of directions and thinking of things, but it, in the climate area, Imperial wasn't really known for climate research. And actually, there were all the bits and pieces there in the basic science, but I think particularly in the technologies, the possibility of the technologies of the futures, all the bits were there. And I, I just was sort of found them fantastic. And if we could just get them together and, and sort of get the people together and actually to be realistic, to get the academics in Imperial really away from the interesting things they're doing anyway, it probably needs a bit of money to do that. And so the, the fact there was a good carrot there certainly helped. Were there other climate um, centres like this? I mean, is, is the one at Imperial the only one that there's ever been, or are there others across other parts of the world? There are climate centres around the world. I think um, they all have a, a different flavour. Um, but I, I think what we did at Imperial was, in some ways, um, a first um, in really getting this group in that then tried not to be a centre itself. It tried to actually be the way to be a shop window for what's going on at Imperial and a hub to get things organised, getting people together. So we tried, we didn't use our money to appoint people inside. We actually used it as to try and get everyone together. That was what we aimed to do. And I think that was a different way of doing things. And um, you know, later it's developed into a PhD program. Again, they don't sit in the Grantham Institute. They're in the various departments. You've got the five-star departments around Imperial. And the key thing is to get people together more than they were and thinking what they can do on the climate problem. And in particular, in the technology area, just how can these wonderful things they're all doing really make a difference in climate? And that's what was the big thing for me. I mean, I've been a scientist in the climate area. I gave my first public talk on climate change. Climate change, will we freeze or fry? 
1985 when people were a bit worried about icebergs coming up the Thames. There had been a panorama programme. And I did come down in 1985 that it was frying we had to worry about. But I've been talking about this for a rather long time, but coming from the, the science area. And here was the group at Imperial that could make a difference. And actually, can we handle this problem or not? I, I think actually something that Brian said is really quite important about um, because the the climate kit came along just a, really a year and a bit after the Grantham Institute had got started. So it was a sort of the Grantham doing its thing, but it didn't have a history. So it was learning to do things. It was doing things the way that Brian and, and, and Simon thought things should be done. And so this idea that you are the ultimate networker and coordinator and facilitator sort of carried through into the kick. And it, was a, it, it, it meant that the pattern of what it was you were doing in the kick, you know, it was, it was set in some ways by what we were doing already and trying to do already internally. Um, and, and, and much of the story is about that. It's about helping people. It's about uh, bringing the best of what you've got to the table but not hogging the food at the table. <laughs> it's, it's, it's serving everybody else up and making sure that, that, that things are, you know, the, the, the best goes to the best. So, Richard, you've got this real ferment of, of, of ideas and excitement and talents and skills and research all coming together. And, and obviously the, that exchanging knowledge, just as the kick says it's supposed to. Where did the innovation and accelerator bit come in and how did that happen? When, when we were writing this this um, proposal, so this is the big proposal you had to write, and it was it was it was essentially put together in in two thousand and nine, and and it, I mean I think it probably did occupy that group I was talking about. It probably occupied a large fraction of our time. There's a lot to do, and and I was asked to coordinate and do all the work on education and training. So well, the, can I just not, butt in there because I. I mean, I, I said before about Simon Buckle, we knew it was going to be a year of Simon's life. But then Richard coming along was actually crucial as well. A guy who's not going to just oh. educate himself for, for six months or one year, but actually, well, he, he probably didn't know it was going to be 12 years or something at that point. But right. um, uh, anyway, uh, that absolutely crucial. These things don't just happen from some a few people putting in a bit of time here and there. It's those, you need those people. You also need the one or two are dedicated. And Richard was really the man who took this forward in the end there. Um, you don't, you don't get the blushes on podcasts. So if, if there's a blush button on anybody's. <laughs> press it now. <laughs> yeah, press it now and blush. Yeah. I'm actually he's a proud father. He's, he's <laughs> pink no, to I'm his. I'm usually nasty to him. So I'm oh, just, right. so. Proud dad. He's pink to his ear tips. That's what it is. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. So there you are, dedicating your life to, to getting this off the ground. Yeah, and you were telling us about how the, you know, you put the bid in, which is clearly, you know, months, not just hours of work. So you put it, the it, bid it, in. It, but it was, it was, what was driving the vision? What, why, why this sort of kind of need to do innovation I mean, and acceleration? It, it, it was, it was um, a really interesting process because I was, I was doing both. How, how would you help um, postgraduates? to really get turned on to doing something about climate change. So there was a generic feeling that in order to address this problem, we needed large cohorts of educated people who understood how to translate ideas, knowledge, 
and invention into real businesses. And so that was the studenty bit. And in fact, I think there's been about 2,000 people who've gone through the education program now. And at the time that I was still in the climate kick, a quarter of them, so a large number of them created businesses, some of, went into, some of which went into our accelerator program. But that we had then separately this thing which is called entrepreneurship. I remember it very well. On, on the bid, it was called entrepreneurship. And I have to I mean, I was, I was asked to write that bit, um, which I did. It was a rather flaccid piece of writing, I have to say. The education part was much better. Um, and But there was definitely a sense once we got started that the incumbency, the, 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 the existing businesses, might be quite slow and might be quite encumbered with, you know, patterns of working cultures and so on, and that these students need to be accompanied by businesses. And there was a, there was a colleague at the time in, 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 of mine in the executive of the Climate Kick called Franz Naut from the Netherlands, and, and um, he really took the bull by the horns and said, we need an accelerator program and I'm going to create one. And what ended up happening is that Every national site, they were called co-location centres, did it their way. So the way we did things in the UK is different from everywhere else. And uh, <laughs> in a moment of blind hubris, I'm going to say that we're bloody good at it. <laughs> um, and, and I love my, my continental colleagues, but um, I, I'm afraid that, that our startups have been by far and away the most successful. So hurrah for us. Yeah, and, and in terms of, of going on to be successful businesses and actually doing what they set out to do, but I think they've probably been successful by the sense of energy as well that you get in the in the programme and around the Grantham Institute and across the site at the campus. You know, the, there's a sense that this isn't just academia hard at work and people in, you know, labs and basements. This is real change happening in front of your eyes with people taking ideas and creating real solutions. Well, in fact, one of, one of the ideas, and again, it plays back to the way that, that Brian and Simon set the, the Grantham up, which was to draw people in and facilitate and enable stuff to happen, was that we were doing that internally, but why not do that with startups? They don't, you know, only a quarter of them came from Imperial. Many of the others came from places like Oxford and, and Cambridge and, 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 and actually from the, just the generally from society. Um, but what we were able to do, because we, we had the links through the Grantham and through our own networks, and we had the money, was to link them up with, you know, the richness of, 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 of Imperial and actually of other universities as well. So Reading was a partner. We were able to do it with them. National Physical Laboratory was a partner. We were able to say, you know, what you need is you need some help of this sort. I know just the person who can do that. You know, you, you, you link them up. That is the, that was the unusual bit, but again, it followed a pattern of behaviour that was already set in the way that the institute worked. So we were, I, I, I guess, you know, maybe maybe unconsciously, Brian. I, I don't think we did very much talking about oh, we should do it this way, but we were just sort of doing things the way we were doing things. Yes, I think that's right. Yes, it, it just emerged as a natural way of doing it. I think. Yes. Yeah, and it I should say yeah. that they bid you helped write um, those of you around the table. Um, when it came to the actual judging, I remember the lady from Imperial College, from the top of Imperial College, was at the meeting there and called called me from wherever it was, I can't remember, 
Yeah, you were there as well, weren't you? And uh, we actually got the top rating of all the projects that were submitted to the EIT that year, I believe. Yes, Is we that did. Right? Yes, rah rah. Yeah. <laughs> now, they rather liked it too. We did. I mean, you know, imperial people are terribly in, enjoy being competitive. <laughs> and, I'm so and, modest with it, I must say. Can I just ask, you know, when you we're bringing those potential businesses in and, you know, to give people a flavour, listeners a flavour of what, what happens in the Accelerator programme. You've said they've come from all over. They've come from other universities, come from outside of university life, outside of academia. What kind of businesses come through the door and what kind of businesses succeed and come out the other side and get part of that quarter of a billion dollars of funding? Yeah. Um, well, actually, I'll tell you, the first one that came through the door was introduced to me by Simon Buckle, who bumped into them at some some do somewhere or another. And, and they are our oldest. Um, I guess they'll be a son because they're all men uh, called Naked Energy. And they produce uh, they convert sunlight into electricity and into heat very, very efficiently. So they can convert. Um, up to 90%, but in manufacture, 80% of the sun's energy into useful heat and useful electricity, which is fantastic. It's, it's world leading. Um, they're a really good example. I, I'm not, because I, we can't do everything. I'm just going to give them as an example. They came in and they needed, they needed their technology checking. So, um, we found a colleague in the engineering department. Um, to, who could do what's called solar simulation. So you create fake sunlight, very, very controlled fake sunlight. And that means you can check how efficient is this system. And that made a huge impact for them because all of a sudden they could actually tell the world what the performance of their system was and that it had been measured by people of Imperial. And, and you know, we do have a reputation for being pretty honest and pretty good at measuring things. <laughs> Uh, and it, it transformed all of a sudden they had loads of people coming to them saying, we're really interested in what you're doing. Um, later on, we, 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 we connected them to students who did work with them, um, which was also very valuable to them. And then we connected them to other businesses, businesses that were in our network. And so their technology, for example, ended up doing desalination, um, with a partner in the Netherlands and um, heat and desalination to a hotel in, in, in Malta. So all these things happened within the kind of the, the networks that we, we created. Of course, they didn't all come from us because we have these colleagues in other universities and other businesses, and, and you were able to use that to, to, to give people opportunities. I remember um, asking the CEO of Naked and just, how much quicker do you think things went? Because of us, and he said, oh, "I'm pretty confident you you made things go faster by about three times." He said, "We would never have found all these connections," um, and, and and that I think I think that is that's the one of the main parts. The other part is that you're right. You know, universities and, and imperials possibly <laughs> worse than some um, are quite arrogant places. We believe because we're smart, we can do anything. But actually creating a business is an art form that universities do not excel at. And so we, I, I recognize that because I'd spun some companies out and recognized the failings that we had. Um, and we brought people in, or we brought a person in who had, um, who had created businesses from scratch and taken them to the stock market. And, um, 
that was the other part of the, the story that, that, that Andrew, the person I'm talking about, was really able to talk to these startups about the realities that they're experiencing and explain them, explain to them what was going on and get them through. So I think business support and technical support, it sounds rather dry when you say, say that. It's much more human than that. It's about creating connections and links and, and so on. It seems to me that that's really, that's the kind of cusp of it, isn't it? That's what we need. If we're going to change our, um, you know, the direction we're traveling in towards climate disaster, we need to be able to energize, but also bring together all of those elements of both, you know, expertise and knowledge and scientific endeavor and, and commercialization. I mean, what I find really exciting about this is for an academic institution, there's no shying away from the acceptance that we need money-making businesses to provide the solutions here because it's it, it, the reports are important the intelligence is important and the academic rigor behind all those things are important but without commercial businesses we're a bit sunk aren't we yeah, i mean I, th- I think it's it's kind of interesting maybe to i hope i got my recollection correct Brian, but you were you were a member of the climate change committee essentially yeah. the whole time and you know that is an incredibly important um organ basically holding the, the nation, holding the government to account. But I, I'm guessing, Brian, that a lot of what you do in that is very macro. You sit looking from up on Mount Olympus, you know, looking down at us and, and saying what what we should do. And so I wonder how you felt about, you know, the, 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 the connection between those very lofty kind of prognostications that you were going through and the kind of slightly more earthy right. things yeah. that were going on with us. And I think my first real experience of of that sort of the different views was the back in the Royal Commission on Environmental Pollution. This is 1999, I think, when I joined it. And it's a Royal Commission that's in that, that produced some reports the government didn't like. So it, it actually called it a quango and got rid of it later on. But at that point, we, I, when I joined, we, we were doing something on energy and climate change. And the first bit of that was to, for me to tell the committee about the climate problem. I, I was the only climate scientist then. And so the committee said, right, can we get rid of all this emissions of carbon dioxide? And then the committee looked at the bottom up and said, well, how could we do this? Which is taking me into this different thing. And at that point, we decided, well, what we could do is reduce our emissions by 60%. We saw that that was possible. So that was the start of me looking from the bottom up. So I try not to be just the lofty one. It, it's also easy to say, you know, oh, we should get, make our greenhouse gases zero by 2035. Okay, yeah, why not 2030? You know, you can imagine politicians vying with one another. It's only when you look at the other end, you say, my God, how are we going to do this? And can we do it with the existing technologies? Well, not so far off. We can do some of it, but with the way the businesses are set up, it's not going to happen. So, so then it got me into this thing of, well, the government sets the playing field on which all this happens. It tilts the playing field, or it should. And then it allows business to operate on that playing field, and you need those new ones developing. The old ones usually have all the money, but they've also got the inertia and they find it difficult to change. So it became clear to me that these new things were needed, but I'm afraid I'm not the one to be able to organize those things. I have to rely on others. And this EIT, the kick, 
And then people like Richard coming along was key for me. And I'm just left with my mouth open as these things happen. I mean, I, th- I, th- I think for me, um, I just, I just rem- you know, talking with Brian makes you remember all the blooming things that were going through your head at the time. I, I can remember a very strong strand of, of, of emotional kind of input, which came not just from me, but from many people was, um, you know what? People like us who know, who understand the science, you, you know, we're scared and, and we feel disempowered. And that is, um, reflected in the students that we have, you know, who are, they're the ones who are, who are going to actually have to deal with this. There are children and all right, we're not going to be around probably, um, you know, when, when things really get to the, to the, to the cliff edge. So what can we do? And that, that I think Brian was the thing that really made, you know, I stopped being a traditional academic. I, I was doing all the normal things, getting all the nice plaudits and so on and so forth. And I just thought, I really can't leave this alone. I, I, you know, I've got to enable people to feel that they have the tools and also that they feel empowered, which are slightly different things, actually. They have the tools, they feel empowered to get on and do stuff because government, the government of this, this century is rather different from the governments that I remember when I was a child, which were much more believed less in the hegemony of, of the market. And believe more in, in states. I, I don't want to call it interference, but that's what you'd call it nowadays. You know, that they would do stuff. Now it's, it's a little bit more like Brian said, well, we'll set the playing field. We might tip it in your favor, but you know, we might not. Um, we might leave you stranded. And, and under those circumstances, you can't rely on government to do the things that the nation needs them to do. And so how do you manage this? Well, I, I just felt that universities have got a role. Because we're neutral places, we're places of knowledge, but we're neutral from the point of view of telling truth, both to power, but also to business, you know, saying to business, you actually, you know, the reality is you're going to need to do this. And I think that's been very powerful. And it's been, been, I I suppose I don't remember it anymore because it's sort of imbued in me now, but I think that, that that was a hugely important part of this. And maybe also a, a sort of hidden part of what the accelerator does. Because as successive generations go through it, this becomes the norm. Like, oh yeah, these people create businesses. They get huge amounts of investment. And it's like one of the companies started off by one of my, um, one of the students created a business. They're on the verge of uh, landing a huge amount of investment, um, to, you know, which, which basically mean this business is like not just a small to medium sized business. It'll be a big business. Um, so you really can do it. You know, it's that sort of feeling of, of it's a challenge, but you can grapple with it. You can make a difference. I mean, that's really, really important. It's hugely important. And it's, it's fantastic that it, that, that it started and then it's continuing. And it's enormous thanks to you, Brian, for, for setting up the Grantham Institute and having that vision and that foresight to bring those, those people together and to kickstart, can I use that bad pun, a really exciting program. And although the, the funding, the European funding is coming to an end and that bit of the climate kit might be 
um, coming to an end. There's the, the accelerator program continues and, and there are exciting plans for future. And that's some of the things that we're going to be talking about in the podcast over the coming weeks, isn't it, Richard? We've got a range of guests, some of your children coming home to roost and some other bonus material around some of the science behind this for our, for our podcast series that's coming up. But we probably ought to draw this episode to a close. So, Huge thank you, Brian, for, for joining us today and also for, for getting this going and for inspiring all those people that you've inspired and continue to inspire in your work. Um, and I think that, you know, we've got a really exciting series of stories to tell. Richard, who's, who's coming up in some of the other programs? Can you remember? <laughs> um, so, um, we're going to test you now. Uh, the names of well, your, can you remember the names of all your children? This is always the crucial test for a parent. I'm, 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 I'm not going to play that game. I'm sorry. <laughs> because I'm going to start. I told you, I told you before we started that Brian and I are professional professors. That means we forget things at a moment's notice. And let's just very... touch on some subject material. No, yeah, so, so, so let's so, do some subjects so we got listeners excited for what comes yeah, up. So, so, so that, you know, climate change affects everything and everything that's going to have to respond to it. Um, so we're talking about things from um, the very, very basic food, agriculture, packaging, the whole food value chain and what needs to happen and what the startups have been doing. Um, and we're going to be talking about things to do with um, where you live and work, the buildings, and how you make those um, low carbon buildings, low carbon uh, emission in, in function and also as they're built. We're also going to go to some more kind of out there things. So we're going to also talk about um, the removal of, of greenhouse gases from the atmosphere, for example, which are things I suspect that Brian and I would hope wouldn't have happened, but because we've been so slow, they now are necessary. So we're doing everything from, I, I, I'm not going to use the moonshot word, I promise. No, be banned from the podcast every, if you we're, do. We're going to go from the everyday to the truly mind-blowing. Brilliant. And it's really exciting and I can't wait. Um, a huge formal thank you to our guest, Brian Hoskins. Thank you for joining us, Brian, and thank you for Great getting pleasure. this. A lovely trip down memory lane. <laughs> yeah. well, thank you, Brian. Yeah, thank you. And thank you so much to our listeners for joining us for our first episode of Accelerating to a Better Future. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to catch future episodes and bonus material on your favourite podcast app or via the Grantham Institute website. Thank you for listening and goodbye from me. Goodbye. And goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Accelerating to a Better Future is a Planet Pod production, co-hosted by Amanda Carpenter and Richard Templer. Our thanks to our producer, Jim Haywood, and the team at Imperial College London.